Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou faintest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses up above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness. Y'all feel it in the building. To thy mercy and love. Help me. Great is thy Tell him. Great is thy Morning by morning do mercies I see. All I have needed thine hand have provided. Great. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. One more time. Great is thy For the Holy Spirit. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Father, this is your hour. You're the hero of today. Thank you for James Teeley. Thank you for Dave as he shared ministry in prison walls. But I thank you. You're the great I am. Faithful to perform. And we trust you to do in, with, and through us what can only be described as miraculous. And all who agree with that prayer, shout amen. There's a little pericope in Psalm 90. And I want to challenge us this morning. As you put a finger on verses 10 through 14, the psalmist sings a song. Psalm number 90. Verses what? 
10 through 14. And as we tiptoe through that text, I need you to understand that my intent in this message is not to be homiletically astute. I don't want to impress you hermeneutically. I'd love to be expositional, but this particular morning is a launching pad. I know y'all are deep. I know y'all have been to some of y'all seminary, and I know many of you want to traverse in the eschatological truths of the Holy Writ. But this morning, I, I want, I'm not that deep. I want to be simple. I want us, I'm after your mind. I don't want to really impress you with where I come from or even what my name is because there is a name much greater than any seated in this building. You need to understand why we come after the head first, the mind first in this permeating week. This is it. Anybody know a thief is not a thief because of his or her hands? Because if you're a thief, turn to your neighbor and say, are you? If you are, if I shackled you and handcuffed you and sent you to the prison Dave spoke of, threw away the key, locking you behind bars and shackling you to the wall, how many know you will still be a thief if your mind didn't change? You will not be rehabilitated if something hadn't happened in the cerebral cortex of who you are. And so this morning, I don't really want to mess with just your hands because if I got your mind, it'll change your idea that you can get away with thievery. And Psalm 90 teaches me something. It says in verse 10, the length of our days, 70, maybe 80, if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow. Anybody? Life. Here's what the word says. They quickly pass and we fly away. And Job 14.1 pins it like this. Man born of woman has but a few days. And all of them are full of trouble. Yeah. Y'all don't want to talk to me. I'm all by myself. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may do one majestic thing. Listen, we will do what the psalmist has done and sing for joy. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it. Somebody need to tell your face that right now. And the world can't, it says, give me joy that I will be glad, not just this morning, but all of my days. For a few moments, I don't have a whole lot of time. I want to talk about the bucket list. This is the only bucket I could find. And it's got a broke wheel. I've never seen a trash can with a flat. I was willing what to do before I kick, kick the bucket. Yeah, that's, that's what I want to talk about just for a few moments. See, what would be different about you if today Jesus were you? Things that make you go. If Jesus were you, I'm not talking about making you discouraged and saying for the rest of the month. I just want today. What, what if he were you just for today? Would you have put on what you put on? If Jesus were you, 
Would you have treated the folk who rode the van with you the way you did this morning at breakfast? Or when they said, get up, it's time to go. And you, your mama, your mama. Would you, if Jesus were you, fear your future? Where you're going to be in the next 10 days, would you? If Jesus were you, be worried about even the cellulite, the pimple, the stretch marks. If Jesus were you, how would you look at yourself in the mirror? Would it be, uh, or would it be fearfully and wonderfully made? I'm not talking about if you were like your mom and dad, whom you respect and love, some of you. I'm not talking about your favorite hero, Beth Moore and, and, and Louis Gigolo. Who? Angel. Yeah. I, I want to know if Jesus took over. And you're looking at me like a calf at a brand new gate. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5. Keep a pen and a finger on Psalm 90. I wish I had a little more time, but 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 through 15, bust us in the grill. It's a wake-up call, and I know some of you are dog-tired, so am I. But 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced one died for those who are blonde-haired and blue-eyed. For those who are Afrocentric and in touch with Ebonics. For those who are Asian and glad about it. Is that what your Bible says? Fill in the blank. Some of y'all, hey man, I'm Hispanic. What's up? You know, don't leave me out. Whoever you are, is that, no, the scripture said one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Can I have your head? But for him who died for them, did he stay dead? He's so faithful, he got up just like he promised three days later. And the word tells me I need to recognize I have to yield. Just today, just today, I want you to try Jesus come into my circle. Because if he's you, the very thing that prevents his rulership is your eye. In the middle of a spelling bee, S and N, spell it. Y'all are college students. I like this group. Educated. When your eye is in the middle of sin, rulership doesn't happen. He's not Lord. He might be Savior. But he doesn't have full control because you'd like to dictate your destiny. You'd like to be married in five, four, three, two. What's up? Everybody else is getting married. I'm always a bridesmaid, never. And fellas, I'm just U-G-L-Y. I don't have an alibi. Ugly. Can't find a date. The challenge is that your eye is in the wrong place. If you move it. Because he doesn't want you straddled, lukewarm in the middle You'll sing soprano, fellas, I'm telling you, on the fence. He wants you hot or cold. If your eye is in the wrong place, touch your neighbor and say, move it. It's time to move it, move it. 
out of the S and N in the middle of capital H and M, that spell, the problem is sin. Can I give you a definition? I just want to teach just a little while. Definition of sin, dishonoring God and preferring other things more than him. But there's more. That's just temptation. And temptation's not the sin. Then yielding to the preference. I'll repeat. The definition of sin is preferring and loving other things more than God and then acting on that preference. You got this definition defining your life. Temptation's not the problem. It's yielding to the stuff that so easily besets you, the kind of thing you said you'd never do again, and you did, kneeling at the porcelain God saying, if you get me out of this hangover, I'll serve you at every mission booth for the rest of my life. You are in the middle of something that traps you, and we get real Southern when it comes to sin. We've been to church, and we've grown up sitting on our blessed assurance, and we get in a posture that's Southern, and we say, you know what? I read the Bible. Y'all have sinned and come short of the glory. But is that what the text really says? The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray, every one of us on his own path. So not y'all, the real scripture says, So we got a problem, and we need to get it corrected this morning if we're going to go forward in the rest of this week's journey, permeating, letting the light so shine, men will see the good works, and then Hercules, Hercules, they will glorify God in heaven because you showed up on the planet. Sin's a problem, but there's a definition. Here's a wage. The wage of sin, says the scripture, is death. Look at it in the Old Testament. You were going over to Romans, but look at Deuteronomy 28. Verse 15, and then verses 19 through 20. If someone finds it, stand to your feet like you're hooked on phonics and read it. Deuteronomy 28 in the crispy section of your Bible. Verse 15, and then verse 19 through 20. I got a reader. There he is. 15. Now, you got to understand, there are some people that didn't even turn their Bible. They can't hear at all. So like you hooked on phonics, like somebody's on their way to hell with gasoline britches on. This was class participation. This is not a dictatorship. It is a dialogue. And what he just said to us is that you're in the middle of drama. You're wondering why you feel bankrupt. You're wondering why stress on every side. What we just read is that if we're not following the will of the Father, then we are in the middle of a curse. And the one who came up with the phrase was not your mom and dad. It was God who said, I brought you into this world. And I will. He doesn't like sin at all. Have you ever noticed that? 
The wage is death. I've not literally died, but you've harmateed, you've missed the mark, and you've shot the arrow in the wrong place. It did not hit the bull's eye, and so you got off track. It reminds me of my son, whom I'm teaching how to cut the grass, telling him, stay on the road, baby, stay on the road. But when he gets in the riding lawnmower and a fine mamma jamma comes down the street, his tendency for a nanosecond is to look away. And there's a ditch in our neighborhood. I'll tell you more about that next sermon. But you need to know the wage of sin is you've missed the mark. You've fallen and you can't get up. And we've all been there. We've all glorified something else more than we have God. And it is far too often that we glorify carnal things as Christians. Somebody yelled out Florida. Go team. And I stood and said, God is faithful. Hallelujah. Shame on us. When the name of Jesus is held, you ought to stand up like the hyena on the Lion King. Mufasa. Ooh. Say it again. Say it again. Ooh. Jesus. Ooh. Like fire. Shut up in my bones. But sin. But sin. I know. I know. It's the wage. It's death. I've not literally died, but my relationships are dead. My parents' marriage, dead. My school, academic pursuit, dead. Yeah. I feel like my life is dry. And I need a way out. Well, the effect of sin, according to George Smeaton, the worst effect of the curse wage, the cost of sin, is the loss of God. You ever feel distant? God isn't lost. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We get off course. We get out of the way. We break fellowship. And God stands on the porch with open arms waiting for us in our prodigal nature to come home. But we get trapped in sin, and the weight of it just presses us down. And we come to a place where complete withdrawal of God from the human soul and emotions affects our will to live. Now, I know in a group like this who's saved, sanctified, and filled, you've never struggled with suicide. But from where I just came, there were countless hundreds who said, I've been there on my crossroad, not wanting to go another step forward. If someone puts one more thing on my plate, I will surely collapse and die. And if they don't put it on the plate, I'm going to take my own life. The wage of sin is death. What does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and you lose what is most important, God in you, the hope of glory, your soul? I want you in your quiet time as you go to your community groups to get a Romans 1 attitude because many of you are parked in the first portion of Romans 1 and then 18 through 32 defines who you are. Not having enough time for us just to wax in the midst of that text. Let's go forward. Many people think they would be better off to lose God. I want him but not all up in my business. I don't want him to dictate my attitude. I don't want him to dictate who I am engaged to. He's fine. He's hot. And I got my eye on him. And she is gorgeous. She's mine. And she doesn't even know it. Anybody ever claim somebody that one? (laughs) Doesn't even know we exist, but we Isn't she lovely? 
Y'all keep slowing me down. The word teaches me many people feel they're better off lost, but I'm in far too many hospital rooms with this understanding. Without family, there'll be possibilities you won't get the crust wiped out of your eyes. But without God, the real deal is doomed. In hospital room after hospital room, on visit after visit, there's no joy. And many of us heard about Michael Jackson's pass from this life to some other. Does anyone know where he is? I wish you could tell me. Some would like to guess. I don't know where Farrah Fawcett is. I don't know where Walter Cronkite is. But today, you can know where you're going. He doesn't care where you've been, how much you've messed up with your eye in the middle of sin. He wants to transfer you and permeate your life, putting it on the mantle of his glory so that the world will see that he's real and a reward of those who diligently seek his faith, his gratefulness, his gracefulness, his faith. Is yours for the asking. If you will touch the hem of his garment, then you can have dust on yours as you walk closely to the matchless love and wonder of the Lord. I don't know where those other characters are, but I know where I'm going and whose I am. Yet Jesus, whose ministry had come on the scene, says to us that there is a possibility you don't even know what's inside of you to grasp that truth where you're going. Can I back you up? Psalm 90, 10 through 14 says, because of what is, is in my midst, the sin that so easily besets me, teach me to do what? Number my, what are you saying? Sin is serious and this life is urgent. We ought to have a 911 watch on this campground in the ark. Why? Because the church is on fire. Somebody ought to be dialing up from the Lifeway office and from the front desk of the hotel lodge receiving area. 911, those radical collegiate students, their leadership, and everyone from those booths that are represented are on fire. The doorposts of the house are shaking. The smoke of his heaviness has filled the temple, and they're all crying out, not just faithful, but holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Your sin has left a crimson stain, but he takes the coals from the fire of his holiness and he daps it on your lips that you might speak truth and out of your mouth rivers of living water will finally flow. Wake up church, be the church, let go, let God and he'll be glorified. John the baptizer understood the bucket list. What I've read in my theological journey, and you can correct me you great theologians, I discovered that John only had six months to do his ministry before he was beheaded and taken off the planet. When he came of age and began to announce, behold the lamb that takes away, how many? The sins, plural. Y'all better be running down to the altar because some of y'all got some junk in the trunk. You know you got some stuff you brought in here. He calls us not to be holy. He calls us to be holy. And some of you are not born again, you're porn again. And we need to be on our face saying, I'm sorry, God, I who represent you, I who bear your name have marred it before the world. I have keys to the church and I'm the worst among the sinners in the midst of. And John the Baptist knew the bucket list because he only wore one outfit 
ate one meal and had one sermon. Y'all would run me out of town if every time you saw me, it was one. Repent. He ain't deep at all. He don't have no numerous. No, we're dumb sheep and you didn't get it the first time. Repent. That's not 360 degrees back to the vomit. That's about base. 180 degree turn away from whatever so easily beset you. Can you hear me now? Jesus comes behind John and he says, no man born of woman is greater than he. One sermon, one outfit, camel's hair. You walk out of here in some camel's hair and see if you won't raise an eyebrow too. And then eat you some locusts and wild honey as your only diet plan. He had an urgency, no time for caviar and chitlins. He wanted to know God in the pardon of his sin because his sandals in the person of Jesus, he couldn't even lace and unlace. John's ministry, I discovered, lasted six months. Jesus says that his was only three years. And then he has the unmitigated goal, being God all by himself, to say greater works. Will you do? Can you wrap your arms around that? Can you put your head in the zone of that? Greater works will you do? Moses parted Red Sea. Elijah called down fire from heaven. John was greater than those, and Jesus greater than John. And he says, greater works you and I will do. I can't fathom it, church. And we can't dictate to God how long he can use us to accomplish those greater works. We can't tell him this people group, but not that one. We can't share with God our agenda when God has an agenda. What will you do before you kick the bucket? Will he take over or will it be your life lived, your best life yet? Will he have full control or will you tell God where to get off? I need you to do this, this, and this, and pronto. John announced the coming of Jesus. Can I tell you how we get greater? We announce he's here. <laughs> Behold the lamb coming, but when we show up, Emmanuel, greater in me. He's here. The author, the finisher of my faith, the first, the last, the beginning and the end. He's in me because this is chocolate covering for the Lord. Greater works and service to God is the greatest privilege. You don't help him. He helps you by calling you as unqualified as you are. Get it in your head. This is real. And when you do, you'll begin to deal with the bucket list. Because you know what John did? He served with all he had. Everything. Is that why you came this week? At the close of the movie, teaching us to number our days, it's just the launching pad to get us thinking. We can do some expository preaching a little later, but I want you to think, if he was me, what would be done after we leave this building? And if I have a bucket list, what are the things I must do? Not I'm thinking about, would love to get around. To, what must I do before I leave the planet? Have you ever thought about that? Anybody? Today's a good day to think on it because if you're going to give him your all, two questions need to be raised. I'm done. And they're these. At the close of the movie, the Egyptians would ask a question, not knowing like Michael Jackson and 
Farrah Fawcett, where they would end, they would ask two questions. Have you found joy in your life before you kick the bucket? Number two, have you given joy to others? And if you want to break joy down, it's an acronym. Jesus first, others second, you last. Not as a doormat, but as a servant. If you've given joy and received joy, God can look down today and say, servant, well But if you're in here and Jesus hadn't taken control this morning, you decided what you would wear. You decided which route you would walk. You didn't even consult God about who you'd sit next to or who might need you or if Mike Satterfield needed to hold your hand or if Dave would need an intercessor. You just did your own thing. You sat in the chair. You didn't check for bolts and nuts to be connected. By faith, you took a seat not knowing if it could support your weight. I wonder if you would get off your blessed assurance, trust God in every way, and declare him faithful to perform wonders in your life, making you do greater things than even Christ did when he walked the planet because you announce he is in the room right now. And when you've got this, you're not putting him on your priority bucket list. He is your list. Stand to your feet. Right quick, I want to pray with you as James comes, those awesome worship leaders with him. If you're here and you're saying, man, it hadn't been a joyful year or a joyful life. And if I were to kick the bucket today, I wouldn't have the testimony, joy unspeakable, full of glory. I want you to come to the altar wherever you are. It's urgent. It's 911. You don't have to wait till the music is strummed. You know it's you. There's a little joylessness in your life. Just come to the altar. You're saying, man, I want to be able to say it before I leave. I got the joy, 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 joy down from the head into the region we're going to talk about next. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. How long to stay? If you don't have that joy and that's you, come to the altar. We're going to pray.